Welcome to Success in Medicine. I'm Dr. Samir Desai. What does success in medicine mean to you? If you're working hard to land a position in medical school, success to you may be getting that well-deserved offer of admission. If you're a medical student, you may define success as matching with the specialty or program of your choice. For residents, it may mean securing that coveted fellowship position or even landing that dream job. But there are other ways to measure success in medicine. Chief among those ways is the impact we make on our patients and the quality of care we deliver. To deliver high-quality care, we must clearly have the knowledge and ability to solve complex medical problems. Of course, that, in and of itself, is not enough. We need to have the non-cognitive skills that our patients want, expect, and deserve. Such things as compassion, respect, and empathy. Demonstrating compassion, respect, and empathy is what we strive to do in every patient encounter. But there are challenges we face, challenges that can make things difficult for us. One major challenge has to do with providing culturally competent care. What is cultural competence? It's defined as the ability of a physician or other healthcare professional to meet the social, cultural, and linguistic needs of patients. Given the diverse ethnic makeup of the United States, delivering culturally competent care to different ethnic groups is no easy feat. Today, I would like to focus on how we can deliver culturally competent care to Americans of Chinese descent. Americans of Chinese descent are the largest subgroup under the much larger group Asian Americans. According to the 2010 U.S. Census, there are nearly 4 million Chinese Americans living in the United States. The states with the largest populations of Chinese Americans include California, New York, Texas, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. Over 60% are foreign-born. The population is very diverse with respect to education, language, and socioeconomic status. For example, although Mandarin is considered the official language of China, many Chinese Americans speak other dialects. To help us deliver culturally competent care to this large patient population, I have with me today a very special guest with a unique perspective, Dr. Hassan Raza. Hassan completed his medical education in China, and I invited him to the show to share with us his experiences as a medical student in China and how it has shaped him as a physician. In this episode, we'll learn about his path to becoming a physician in China, the challenges he experienced in moving from America to China, and what he learned about the Chinese culture, language, and customs. Hassan, welcome to Success in Medicine. And let me start by asking you to describe what it was like to go to medical school in China. Well, first off, Dr. Desai, thank you so much for having me on here. So to answer your question, when I first told my parents that, listen, I want to pursue medicine as a career, but I want to take a different route from the typical American, they were actually quite intrigued and decided to support me in my endeavors. After researching many different opportunities to do this in several different countries, eventually finding the opportunity to go to medical school in China really excited me to my core. Going to med school in China was like embarking on a journey I've never been on before. Well, actually it was. So there is a Chinese idiom called 
It means a thousand mile journey begins with the first step. And this is only one of the many idioms of Chinese language that teaches you many different things. And I was beyond excited to be independent in a completely new area of the world, of which I never explored, studying what I loved on top of that. Learning all the same basic and clinical sciences that one will learn in any other medical school in the world, and being able to explore a new country and culture afterward, this was certainly a great way to get my adrenaline pumping and thriving for more. So Hassan, what were some of the challenges you faced in China in terms of adapting to a new country, a new culture, and of course a new language? So as one would expect, I'd say it's not easy moving to a completely new territory, especially one that you're not used to. It takes a lot of determination and a lot of hard work. It also doesn't help that China is literally on the opposite side of the planet because I was actually born and raised here in New York, and my parents, being a Pakistani, they emigrated from Pakistan when they, before I was born here, and um, having a non-Asian face as well also presents several challenges, surprisingly. Aside from the obvious challenge of the language barrier, why don't we start with something a little bit different? So I would say the food is actually one big challenge for me, surprisingly. Now, some of our listeners might be thinking, you know, Chinese food is amazing. How could you possibly have any problems with food? Now, before I get into the details about this, let me give you a little bit of background about myself. So I was born and raised in a pretty strict Muslim household and have been eating only halal meat since I was born. Halal, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the term, it's similar to kosher, meaning that it's a special kind of meat that's mainly for Muslims to eat. So being a strict Muslim, I would only be allowed to eat halal foods. So on top of having such a strict rule, I've always been an extremely picky eater, which really doesn't help the situation at all. I don't particularly enjoy vegetables, and I don't even eat seafood, except for a McDonald's fish fillet, of course. Not to mention, I didn't even enjoy eating Chinese food at all before going, which is a huge problem. Now, before going to China, you really should have seen my suitcases. They were huge. They were completely, they were overfilled. They were overweight. We had to fit on it to close the suitcases. They were completely filled with prepackaged foods and frozen foods from the local halal supermarket. I was hoping that maybe with the frozen foods I could somehow take them to China and salvage them somehow by throwing them in a in a freezer, the, the nearest freezer that I find over there so I could eat it. And because I was really afraid of not being able to eat anything over there. So, But when I actually arrived there, to my surprise, I was very fortunate to find several Muslim Chinese restaurants that were located on campus, they were located in the nearby shopping plazas, and those Chinese restaurants actually do, did in fact serve halal meats, which was the very thing I was, I was expecting not to find. And I didn't even know that these people existed, these Muslim Chinese people, and at that time I realized that I was just one step into an extremely large, wealthy, and very diverse culture in China. Well, thank goodness that uh, you had those uh, food options. Uh, what else struck you about the Chinese culture? Um, well, everything else that struck me about the culture, well, first off, before I talk about that, let me just say that one thing is that Chinese culture and Chinese language, they go hand in hand. So just being able to speak to a native in their native language is already saying a lot about itself. And it's also saying a lot about how much you respect their culture. Um, the reason I say this is because respect towards others and one's image 
is a huge part of Chinese culture. For example, there's actually a Chinese term. It's called which literally means to lose faith. A Chinese individual would rather take huge losses in finances or in success rather than to lose faith in front of others. Of course, uh, like with anything, there are exceptions, as in any other situation, but I'm speaking mainly of the large majority of the Chinese people who would, who would believe in this phenomenon. So, and the bottom line is, the respect is huge in China. So you can't dare to show up late to rounds or to morning conferences. You show up early when you leave last. You leave the seats on the main table for the senior attendings and sit elsewhere during your conference. These are all experiences I'm speaking of during my internship in China. And one non-medical experience is that on the bus, you immediately should give up your seat for an elderly passenger boarding the bus or the train. A good example of this is in the first year of China, I was on the bus, and the bus was full. All the seats were taken, and this elderly female passenger showed up on the bus with a cane, and she was having difficulty walking. And immediately, one of the younger Chinese um, passengers, they got up and gave their seat for the for the elderly lady. And ever since then, that's one example of how I learned how Chinese culture works and how something as small as giving up your seat for an elderly passenger is just one of the many things of how Chinese culture is and things that I could learn from their culture. And ever since that one event, I've always been doing the same for every elderly passenger or, or in any other similar situation. And these kind of acts, they may appear small, they may appear as a nuisance, may appear bothersome, but I believe that they shouldn't be looked at as a nuisance, but instead should be looked at as opportunities to grow and mature as a human being. And I also believe that these very traits that I'm talking about, which I learned thanks to my experiences in China and their culture, are very essential in a physician who plans on taking care of many patients. I want to also talk about language. Uh, it's often said that Mandarin is the hardest language in the world. How hard was it to learn Mandarin for you? Oh, Mandarin. I think it's a very beautiful language. And how hard it is? Well, most people do regard Mandarin being as the hardest language to learn. And I do agree, it's very hard. But I would definitely say, as most would expect, it's the most difficult, but it's definitely the most rewarding challenge I've faced on going to med school in China. And although my courses were taught in English, my school made it very clear that they wanted us foreign students to learn proper Mandarin. So they enrolled us in vigorous language courses throughout the years, including medical Chinese, and they even made us take uh, this HSK exam, which is a Hanyu Shaping Kaoshu, which is the Chinese language proficiency test just like the TOEFL for English. And they made us do all this stuff prior to advancing to the clinical years and internships, which were a true test of my patience, diligence, and desire to continue my years in med school in China. And the way, the way I'm saying it, I hope it does come across that it definitely was very difficult to learn all this stuff. And often I get asked, how are you able to learn Mandarin so well? And my usual answer would be, you know, have you ever taken a public transit in a place that you've never been to before, a foreign country where you could barely read the text, you could barely speak to anybody, and end up getting lost? Now, somehow finding your way back home 
I think that is a true way to really grasp the language. So, as you said, it's a hard language to learn, but one of the best ways to learn Mandarin, I think, is to just dive into the area not knowing what to do and just somehow making it happen, somehow finding a way to make things work. And I know it doesn't sound ideal, but the brain tends to function at a surprisingly higher level when under stress. You know, it may not be the best advice, but I'm going to give it anyway. So I think you should, anybody who's trying to learn Mandarin or any other language should try to get lost somewhere in the in that country. And you'll be surprised how quickly you remember words and gestures you've learned and how quickly you learn additional info about the language and culture that only further enhances your learning experience. For example, I actually have a story to tell about this is, again, in my first year in China, around the first few months that I showed up, I tried to go to the local supermarket by myself without the aid of my seniors, and I needed to get something real quick. So I went on the bus. I somehow made it on the bus and went there. But to get back, I ended up getting lost somehow. So at that time, I didn't know much Chinese at all. I did recognize one character from my school, which is Su. My, my school's Chinese name is actually Suzhou Tashui or Suzhou University. And when I, I could recognize one character, so I would look on the bus stop sign, and I would just recognize that one character. And there was actually nobody there around to help me. And when I did get on the bus, I ended up taking several buses, just asking for that one character. And from then on, I was able to finally make it home. But then on, from that experience, I learned more about the characters and more about how to get back, how to say the school's name, and how to ask for directions. And this was just many one of the many experiences I had which helped me learn Mandarin, which has been regarded as one of the hardest languages in the world. Wow, that's a great story. And so uh, you learn Mandarin in China, and uh, then when you got to the clinical years of medical school in China, were patients surprised to learn that you could speak to them in Mandarin? Actually, I always love receiving this question. It always brings a smile to my face. Even right now, I have a smile on my face. Because my patients do, in fact, give very reaction, uh, very various reactions. So sometimes they would be surprised, sometimes they would expect it. Um, but most of the reactions would be of surprise, just as you said. And when they see me and listen to me speaking Mandarin fluently, they would just have a smile on their face too, or they would, you know, have a big uh, face of like, how how are you speaking Mandarin to me right now? And recently, actually, this happened with the patient and their family. Um, in the office that I'm working at, there's a scribe who started the started the patient up asking some questions. The scribe was an American-born Chinese, or what we like to say, ABC. And she couldn't speak Chinese, but she could speak English fluently, of course. And the daughter of the patient was present as well, and they were exchanging information and everything, doing all that in English. And, of course, uh, at that time, when I walked in, um, they expected me to speak English as well. And I told the patient, I started speaking to the patient in Chinese, and then they all were just taken aback, both of them, the daughter and the patient. And the patient was telling me that it's almost as if you guys switch souls from body to body. And and I like like I said, I always get happy and smile when I see their reaction. As I think this is also a great way to break the ice with a new patient and get them talking about their problems more openly. And it's always great to start a patient encounter with a laugh and a genuine smile, and then move on to business shortly afterward, as this, I believe, enhances the doctor-patient relationship as well. And these type of experiences actually occurred during most of my patient visits during my rotation in China, and were the same when I worked here in the clinic here in New York. 
which is actually an outpatient practice in primary care. And if anything, it comes off even more as a surprise here in the U.S. because they don't expect it. In the U.S. here, they expect me to speak English. But in China, they can, it can be somewhat more expected that a foreigner will be speaking Chinese. So how has your familiarity with the Chinese culture, the customs and language, made you more effective in uh, patient care here in the United States? Well, let me start off with a quote by Nelson Mandela. If you talk to a man in a language he understands, it goes to his head. If you talk to a man in his language, it goes to his heart. Uh, I really love this quote a lot due to the fact of how true it is. Ever since I graduated and came back to the U.S. to work, I've dealt with a wide variety of patients and a wide variety of cultures and customs. Of course, when it comes to my Chinese patients, I use my past experiences in China to my advantage in order to try to optimize patient care to the best that I can. For example, I know that there are many Chinese patients who don't believe in immunizations or other prophylactic medicines. I know, I know not all patients are like this, but a large proportion of those Chinese patients that I've countered actually are. In the U.S., immunization protocols and screening for cancer is much more prevalent than in China through my personal experiences of working in China and working over here for the past almost three years now. So while working in primary care, uh, which largely relies on such protocols, on numerous occasions I would have to somehow convince patients to undergo these screenings and undergo these immunizations as well. Uh, when I mentioned to them that I know about how Chinese patients have a misconception about vaccines, they have misconceptions about how these vaccines can somehow give them the disease instead of preventing this disease, and how screening is just, um, sometimes some Chinese patients would think screening is just a way for the U.S. medical system to just get more money out of the patients and it's not really trying to prevent, uh, it's not really trying to detect early disease and prevent uh, and improve outcomes. Somehow, when I tell them that I know about these misconceptions and I begin to explain the risk versus benefits of vaccinations and the risk versus benefits of screening, I'm able to convince them to get them. And I realize that what I'm doing is what every doctor should be doing for the patient, regardless of language or customs, whether they're Chinese, Hispanic, or whatever. But I believe that simply being familiar with the patient's background and stating so, like I just mentioned earlier, surprisingly can make a huge difference in the outcomes of patient encounter. I've personally seen far too many times when other physicians who are not familiar with the Chinese language they're not familiar with the Chinese culture the way that I am, they try to explain the need for prophylaxis against certain diseases and the need for vaccination. Unfortunately, they only get ignored and barely acknowledged for the hard work. Now, again, let me say that's not for every patient, but I've seen it for numerous patients throughout my experiences. It's not that the physician didn't try hard enough or that the information provided was inaccurate. It's just that, in my experience, I noticed a sizable majority of Chinese patients tend to not acknowledge your input as much if you are simply not familiar with their, with their culture or if you're not even speaking their language. Well, Hassan, this is all very, very enlightening, and I know that there is much more we have to talk about. What I would like to do is have you come back for another episode so we can delve deeper into this uh, very important topic. How does that sound to you? That sounds perfect to me. Well, to me, this has been a great uh, introduction, and I can't wait to hear more about your experiences 
So for our listeners out there, look for part two of our Success in Medicine podcast with Dr. Hassan Raza in the near future. Until next time, I'm Dr. Samir Desai.